The Earth's climate is changing, and NASA's making key observations to see what it's all about. Climate change is about more than just changes in temperature. There's a whole host of other Earth system changes that come along with this, like changes in the water cycle, which can lead to more floods and more droughts at the same time. Hi, I'm Jim Green, and this is Gravity Assistant, NASA's interplanetary talk show. We're going to explore the inside workings of NASA and meet fascinating people who make space missions happen. Welcome back to Gravity Assist. I'm your host, Jim Green, and I have a new job. In January 2022, I retired from NASA, but they hired me back working on some very special projects. So in our first episode of season six, it gives me great pleasure to talk to the new chief scientist of NASA, Dr. Catherine Calvin. And she is also the agency's climate advisor. You know, climate change is such an important topic, and we are thrilled to have Kate on board at NASA. Kate is a distinguished climate scientist who comes to us from the Joint Global Change Research Institute at the Pacific Northwest National Laboratory. She has also been a research scientist at the University of Maryland in College Park. Welcome, Kate, to Gravity Assist. Thanks, Jim. It's great to be here. First, tell us a little bit about what are you going to be doing in your new role? Yeah, I'm really excited. I'm now the chief scientist and senior climate advisor at NASA. Uh, and as senior climate advisor, my role is really to connect the climate science within NASA. NASA does a lot of climate science throughout all of the mission directorates and trying to bring that together so people know what they're doing and what everyone's doing. I'm also going to be working towards communicating that science externally, working with other agencies in the United States and communicating with the, the public um, in general. As chief scientist, my, my role is really broader than that, focusing on all of NASA science. Wonderful. This is really going to be a wonderful era where NASA takes a larger role in explaining the changes that are occurring on our beautiful blue planet. Well, can you talk about how you got into climate science? Is this something that you've always wanted to do? So I, um, my background is in math and computer science and engineering. And when I was going into grad school, I knew I liked math and computer science, but I wasn't exactly sure what I wanted to do with it. Um, I've always loved being outside though. So as a kid, we grew up around boats and I did a lot of camping. Um, over time, I got more into hiking and biking. Uh, and climate change was one of these ways of combining my technical skills with something that really mattered to me. So when you spend a lot of time outside, you develop an appreciation for nature and you notice weather. Um, and climate change is a really nice way for me to tie together something that I loved with something I knew how to do. Well, you know, a lot of people get confused between weather and extremes of weather and what we talk about as climate of the earth. Can you give everyone a little insight as to the difference between those two? Sure. From a scientist, what we like to think of is climate is long-term weather. So if you're, you know, then if you look at how many hot days you have in a year, there's going to be some variation from one year to the next over time. If you have more hot days, that's a climate signal. Um, the analogy I heard most recently, actually on one of your podcasts, was about wardrobe, though. Um, so you can think about your outfit for the day being weather and climate being your wardrobe. Um, and so I think if you think about climate change in that context, 
over the pandemic, I think we all bought a lot more sweatpants um, since we were working from home. And so that's sort of a shift in our wardrobe. So you could still wear jeans because that was the weather that you had access to. But with more sweatpants in there, you're seeing more and more sweatpant days. Um, and so in the, in the, again, in the analogy of climate change, you know, your wardrobe is climate. Um, and so as we get warmer and warmer, you have more and more hot days. Why do you think it's important that NASA is focusing so much energy on climate change right now? So NASA has been doing climate and earth science for, for decades. So they have a decades long set of data on earth and atmospheric conditions that give us a sense of both where the earth is today, but also where we've come from since we've been doing this for decades. Um, and one of the things you can see from NASA data and others is that climate's changing. So we just had a, a release of the update of the temperature record jointly with NOAA, um, and 2021 was tied for the sixth warmest year on record. Um, and the last eight years are the warmest years on record. And so we're experiencing these more extreme events, and they're going to continue with warming. And NASA has this unique vantage point of space to see the Earth and to be able to provide information that's relevant to decision makers and stakeholders. Well, tell us about the upcoming NASA climate science activities. I know we've got a bunch of launches. Uh, what are you excited about in this area this year? Yeah, we have a, a lot of launches planned for 2022. I'll just highlight a few. Um, so one of them is the SWAT mission that's coming out towards the end of 2022. This is a satellite that's jointly developed with CNES, the French Space Agency, with contributions from the UK and Canadian space agencies. And it's focused on measuring oceans and surface water. Um, so it's going to look at lakes and rivers and how rivers flow and also how oceans are changing. And oceans are really important in climate because they absorb a lot of the heat so as the earth warms, the oceans are taking up quite a bit of that. Similarly, they, they absorb a lot of carbon and SWAT will allow us to better understand the ocean's role in a changing climate. One of the other ones I'm really excited for is an instrument that's gonna be launched onto the International Space Station. This is called EMIT um, and it measures mineral dust from the space station. And mineral dust is important both for local climate, but also air quality. So it affects the quality of the air, which has implications for human health and other things. Well, you know, when I was at Goddard Space Flight Center and, and I was working with their climate people uh, on occasion, what I was seeing coming out of their models over time as they added CO2 was changing weather patterns, you know, where areas that were desert was getting more rain, where there were forests, they would become, uh, you know, more arid over time. And so uh, breaking records, temperature records, uh, and, and looking at those extremes over long periods of time seems to already give us the idea that the climate is changing. Is that still going on today? Yes. So the climate is changing. We are seeing, again, these increases in heat extremes, increases in fire weather, which is particularly important in parts of the U.S., um, and NASA has a modeling program that does look at, you know, how has this changed in the past and how it might change in the future so that we can better understand those effects going forward. But I think on your point, it's, you know, climate change is about more than just changes in temperature. There's a whole host of other Earth system changes that come along with this, like changes in the water cycle, which can lead to more floods and more droughts at the same time. Um, it can lead to changes in our forests and changes in in, in the whole Earth system. And so that's something that we're, we're looking into both from an observation perspective to understand where we are now and how we got here, but also from a modeling perspective to understand where we might go. Is there a particular question about our changing climate that you're really interested in answering scientifically? 
Yeah, so there's a lot of things as a scientist that I'm really interested in. The one that sort of stands out for me that has to do with exactly understanding how much the, the Earth will warm for a given level of emissions. This is something in the science community we call climate sensitivity. Um, we've recently narrowed that range, um, so we have a better understanding of it than we did before. Unfortunately, that narrowing is that we've eliminated the possibility of low warming responses. So now we think that the warming for a given emissions level is at least a certain level higher than we thought before. Um, but really understanding how climate responds to emissions is really important for decision makers as they're planning mitigation actions, but also adaptation. So how much warming might we expect and how do we respond to that? And so I think the more precise we can give that information, the better it is for people making decisions. Isn't it also true that there's some climate inertia going on, and maybe that's not the right way to describe it, where where even though we may be making progress in overall reducing our emissions of CO2 and other greenhouse gases, it's going to take a while for the climate to really respond to that. So warming will stop when we get emissions to what's called net zero, so that effectively any extra carbon dioxide we're putting into the atmosphere, we're also taking out. Um, and at that point, you know, it, there's some other um, nuances in that, but effectively that's how you stop warming. I think you could think of this like a bathtub. Um, so as long as the faucet's on and water's going in, the water level's gonna keep going up. If you can turn off that faucet um, or balance the water coming in with water you're scooping out, then the water level will stop. And so that's, that's where um, what we understand about climate change. So stopping carbon dioxide emissions is a precursor to stopping warming. Well, you've done a lot of computer modeling studies, I see, about different scenarios in the future and ways to mitigate these effects of climate change. Tell us about a couple of those that you're especially proud of. Yeah, so one of the highlights for me was this effort I worked on a little more than 10 years ago. For people in the science world, it's called the Representative Concentration Pathways, or RCPs. Um, but what these were was a set of scenarios that were really designed to tie together the research community. So there are people out there that look at how do changes in emissions affect climate. There are other people that looked at how you might change emissions and how does changes in energy affect emissions. There are people that study what the impacts are. So if we have warmer weather, what does that mean for wildfire and heat extremes? What does that mean for food production? And those are all separate groups of researchers. And this project was a way of connecting all of that. Have you ever gone out into the field as part of your research? Yeah, I got this opportunity a few years ago. It's not a tradition in the world I come from because we build computer models. So we write code and we stare at computers. Um, but one of my coworkers was a forest and soil scientist, um, and he took me with him um, to do some field research. His area at the time, he was looking at how forests recover after fire. Um, so we spent a week hiking around and measuring trees in Canada. Um, and it was a really, really interesting experience for me, both to see where the data that I was using in my model comes from. So I was doing a lot of modeling of forests and here was an actual forest. And so I could see where are these numbers I'm using coming from. Um, it was also really useful to see heterogeneity. So not every tree is the same, not every forest is the same. Um, and that's hard to see when you're just looking at a computer. I think it also really gave me an appreciation of satellites. Um, so in one week, the two of us carried covered a very, very small fraction of one part of the world and measured those trees. And if you really want to understand the world's trees, you need to be able to do more and see more. And that's something that satellites give us. 
But indeed, that, that fieldwork is really critically important because that gives you what we call ground truth, of course. And then you can compare those observations from the ground with those from space and make other inferences. Absolutely. I think the field work and the on the ground research is really important, both at understanding the system you're in and the satellites do give us global coverage after you've done that. Can you tell us a story about a moment in your work when you had to surmount an obstacle and what was the challenge and how you overcame it? So a lot of the challenges I've faced in my work have to do with communication. So I, a lot of my work is very interdisciplinary. I work with physicists, ecologists, economists, chemists. And when you're working across disciplines, one of the challenges comes, are, are we speaking the same language and are we doing the, the things that we intend to do? And so one of the projects I worked on a few years ago was about linking these two different types of models of the climate system. So one of the parts of the, the project was about looking at how climate affects land. Another part of it was looking at humans might respond to those changes in land. Um, and we were trying to link information back and forth between them. After a couple of rounds of exchanging information, we started to get some results that were um, surprising. Uh, and when we dug into it a little bit, what we found was that what one model was producing wasn't actually what the other model needed. But we didn't notice it because we didn't communicate clearly enough when we were setting up this design. Um, and I've had a lot of variations of this challenge in my career um, about that. And I think it's pretty natural. Different words mean different things to different communities. And the way that we address these sorts of things is to just keep asking questions, to be precise in our language, but also verbose. So not just giving an acronym or a word, but also explaining what that means to us. And so you have to be open to the idea that a word might mean something different to someone else and really work with them to, to communicate that clearly. Well, you know, I have always said science isn't done until you communicate it. And, and I mean, between scientists, but also the public, uh, what do you think are some of the really big challenges to talk about the current observations and what may evolve with our climate uh, to the public? So some of the challenges, I think with the current observations, it's sometimes it's a little bit easier in the sense that people see that, right? So we know that there were wildfires. We see extreme heat events. I think the numbers can get challenging there. So you hear one degree Celsius, and that's hard to interpret. It sounds very small, but really all of these impacts come along with it. Um, and I would say also on that, since I just said Celsius, depending on the audience you're speaking to, you have to think about units. And so that science community works in metric units. A lot of um, people in the United States understand Fahrenheit. And so trying to think about that and do that translation as you're talking is really important. When you're thinking about future, one of the challenges there, I think, is that you know, future warming depends on future emissions. So we can't tell you for sure how warm it will be, in part because it depends on what happens between now and then. And I think that's a really hard thing to communicate sometimes is that, you know, what we understand and what we don't and why we don't understand it. Um, and so a lot of this future warming, it's because it depends on our emissions between now and the future. Well, you've also done some work with the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, or what is commonly called the IPCC. What is that organization and what does it do? Yeah, so the IPCC is a United Nations body for assessing the state of climate science. The reports are written by scientists um, for the IPCC, and they come out every seven or so years, and they assess the state of climate science. So they're not doing new science. They're looking at all of the peer-reviewed publications that have come out in the last decade, 
and assessing what do we know about climate change and what don't we. Um, and the, one of the nice things about the way that the IPCC works is that every sentence that they write has a confidence statement. So we can tell you how much do scientists agree on this? How much knowledge do we have in this space? And where do we need more? Um, the other thing that's really interesting for me about the IPCC, back to our communication um, conversation, is IPCC, the final summary for policymakers, they're approved word by word by governments and scientists. And so it's, it's an opportunity to really think about how do I communicate my science clearly to someone that needs to use it. So as chief scientist, you also look over all the other science activity that NASA is doing. What else that we have in our portfolio is exciting you? I am really excited about the James Webb Space Telescope. I'm sure most people are. Um, so I got up early Christmas morning to watch the launch and I've been following as it's unfolded the mirrors and we're expecting first images from it this summer. And so I'm really looking forward to that. Um, I'm also intrigued by the DART mission, which is gonna try to um, change the orbit of an asteroid. Um, and then as someone that, you know, watched Apollo 13 as a kid, we have some upcoming robotic and human missions um, to the moon um, under Artemis that'll be really fun to watch. Well, I know there's a lot of budding scientists in our audience and math and, and computer science is so important. What would you suggest people do to get excited about going into this field? So one of the best pieces of advice I got in grad school was to just take the best opportunity when it comes. So don't try to plan too far ahead. Look at what excites you that day and pursue that. And I think for me, that's what I've really been focused on. I started out, I just, I knew I liked math. When I got to undergrad, I decided I liked computer science too. When I got to grad school, that turned into climate science. When I got to my, my job um, at Joint Global Change Research Institute, it turned into interdisciplinary science. And now I'm doing science more broadly, not just climate science. And so I think just follow where it leads and be curious, ask questions. There's no wrong question. Well, Kate, I always like to ask my guests to tell me what was that person, place, event, or thing that got them so excited about being the scientists they are today. And I call that event a gravity assist. So Kate, what was your gravity assist? Yeah, so there's a lot of people that have had an influence on my career. So my high school calculus teacher is the reason I majored in math. My grad school PhD advisor is the reason I do climate. Um, but the person I've been thinking about the most in the last few weeks since I started at NASA is um, a guy by the name of Tony Genados, who is the director of the Joint Global Change Research Institute when I started. He's also a former NASA program manager. Um, and at the point where I started at the Institute, you know, I was doing climate research, but I was very much engineering focused. Um, and I worked with a lot of people that were like me, had degrees in my department. Um, and Tony was an ecologist and he was very much encouraged me to do interdisciplinary research and to talk to people that, that had a different perspective than me. And I don't think I'd be where I am today if it weren't for the encouragement that he gave me. Well, Kate, Thanks so much for joining me and talking about this incredibly important topic and how NASA can play an important role into the future. Thank you so much for having me. Well, join me next time as we continue our journey to look under the hood at NASA and see how we do what we do. I'm Jim Green, and this is your Gravity Assist.